really laid, gave Lorashi and I an idea. And this idea was something we call our coffee bike. We purchased a bike that has a big box on the front of it. And we bought an espresso machine and a coffee grinder. And we decided we were going to go out to different parks in the city, set up, make cappuccinos for people, and share the gospel. And really this brought us and the culture around us together because Laura Ashley and I are coffee snobs. And so we really enjoy coffee. We enjoy making it. Our people in our city love coffee, and we bike everywhere we go in our city. So it brought those worlds together. And so we started setting up in different parks, and just people would come and buy, or not buy, get a cappuccino for free, and we'd start up conversations with them about who God is and what he's like. And we've seen God use that to open up doors that we weren't able to open up doors and have conversations we weren't able to have earlier. Uh, Belgians are very cold, and so this interaction of handing them a coffee and talking to them has been a great blessing because, as y'all probably know, it's always easier to talk to somebody when you have something in your hand, right? And there's awkward silences. You can take a sip of something to drink, and it kind of eases the awkwardness. Another thing that Laura Ashley especially has been doing um, over the last couple of years is working in the red light district um, in our city. And so she goes out into the red light district and makes, makes conversation and meets prostitutes and builds relationships with them. And the goal of those relationships is to help them to get out of this line of work and also to share the gospel with them and he see them become disciples of Jesus. So it's melding those two things together of wanting to see them follow Jesus, but also wanting them to be brought out of this work into a gospel-based community where they can live life and flourish. And so those are two main ways that God um, has used us in our city. But the only way that our service there in Ghent is possible is through the giving of churches like Gateway. Like Grady said, we are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention's mission board, the International Mission Board. And every year, Gateway gives to the International Mission Board, and that allows us to go and serve. And so I just want to say thank you for that. We really appreciate that. There are, are thousands of missionaries all around the world who are out sharing the gospel and make disciples. And that's only possible through your giving and the giving of the thousands of other SBC churches around America. So thank you. And just to close out, we wanted to give you kind of two bullet point prayer points. As you go about your week, we would be so grateful if you would pray for us and our family. We've been here in the States for three months now. And so you can imagine the, the transition and just the culture shock coming back to America. Um, America's not the same that we left three and a half years ago. And we're not the same. And you're not the same. And so all of these different things are clashing. And so we've um, also had a lot of visa trouble as we have been in Belgium. We lost our visa during our first year. And honestly, every couple months, it's been a battle to stay in the country. And we are yet again in a visa situation. And so um, to get back into the country, we have to be um, uh, accepted to a new visa. And so we're in the process of waiting for that. So if you'll just pray that God's will would be done, that doors would be open, um, and that, yeah, that we would just have open hands with whatever's ahead of us with that. And also for our children, we are homeschooling in two languages while we're here in America. So catching, you know, trying to keep the kids at the level they need to be to start back in school in January. They go to a, a national Dutch-speaking school there, and so trying to do that. I'm not a qualified teacher in Dutch, so that has been quite a challenge and a very humbling experience. 
Um, so just pray for them, but also as we're trying to do English as well. And, you know, both of them, James grew up most of his early years. He learned to read in Dutch before he learned to read in English. And so just trying to um, humbly walk in these two worlds well. We would really appreciate your prayers for that for our next three months. And we are at the meet and greet. If you have any, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about what the coffee bite looks like and what my work uh, looks like in the red light district. So if something interests you we and you have a question, please come and grab us after the service or at the meet and greet. We would really love to talk to you more. Well, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of Lee and Laura Ashley, God, we thank you for their ministry. We thank you that you have called them to Ghent, Belgium. And Lord, we do ask, even right now, Lord, I'm reminded of Proverbs 16, 9, where it says, the mind of man and the heart of man plans his ways. But God, you order and determine and establish our steps. And we know that you've established the steps for Lee and Laura Ashley. And God, we just ask that your kingdom come and your will be done in the area of the visa and preparing the way for them to get back to Belgium. We just pray that everything works out legally that needs to happen, that you would continue to order their steps and guide and direct that. And, Lord, give them grace and the mercy they need, the strength and the wisdom and discernment to homeschool the kids during this season of transition, God. Give the kids just the wisdom they need um, and just the grace and mercy, God, to be able to respond. And, Lord, that will be a time that they'll see your hand upon it. It could be fun and that they see your grace and that there would be a peace. And that they would experience as they're here in this transition time to educate their children. And Lord, we just thank you what you're doing here at Gateway. We're so grateful that you are our chief shepherd. You are the head of this local fellowship. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the Gateway College ministry. We thank you for Seth and Megan and for Parker and Aaron and their leadership and their hearts to serve and to disciple these young people, to meet with them, to open their home, uh, to have a time of community. And God, we pray you continue to draw these young men and women to you as they are salt and light on their campuses and in the different spheres of influence they have at their jobs, just wherever you have them, Lord, we pray you continue to draw them to yourself and continue to give them opportunities to live out their faith and share their faith in their respective areas. And, Lord, we thank you for our brother Foch here. We thank you for Foch Smart um, and his ministry that he continues to do with the guys at Safety Net as he continues to be salt and light, to disciple them, to share the gospel, to just love on these guys who have such difficult backgrounds and lives that you've placed them in, these young men. And we just pray, God, you continue to give Foch the strength and wisdom. And every moment that he meets with these guys, whether it's a fun setting of playing Frisbee golf or um, uh, anything they do with athletics or just anything, God, that you would just give him the words he needs and that they would see, God, your grace, your mercy, and your love that Foch so beautifully displays. And God, we thank you for Pastor Samuel and New Life in Christ Church that meets here after us every Sunday that has been a part of this uh, campus and ministry for over 10 years now. And we pray that you would just give Pastor Samuel and his leaders just the wisdom they need to reach the Hispanic community here in Montgomery, continue to draw people to this local fellowship, Lord, that the gospel will go forth and that you would be able to provide them opportunities of discipleship uh, to reach the Hispanic community here in Montgomery. And Lord, as Lee said, and Lori Ashley said, we thank you for the IMB. We thank you for the, each week we get the opportunity to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And um, this morning, God, we lift up Great Joy Bible Church in Rwanda. 
And we thank you that recently they baptized some new believers. Uh, they've ordained some new elders. And we just pray, God, for the uh, emphasis they have in their community, that you would bless them and give the leadership of that church wisdom on uh, how to reach their community with the gospel. God, open doors in the name of Jesus for those new elders and shepherds and those people to have boldness in that area of Rwanda, that they would be able to take the gospel. God, that we can hear other stories of how there's revival breaking out all over that community um, as you minister in and through these individuals. And Lord, we thank you that you're a good God who provides. We are so blessed, so blessed as a people. And we thank you for the offering today that's been given online or uh, here this morning. And we ask you to bless it for the sake of kingdom work that you desire to do in and through this local congregation. And Lord, we thank you so much for our shepherd. We thank you for Grady, who loves on us, who shepherds us well. As he brings the word this morning, God, we pray that you fill him afresh with your spirit, that you would encourage him and give him strength that he needs, the energy he needs. And God, he'd be the first to say as he stands here, God, we want to hear you this morning and that you would just use your vessel to bring your word. God, convict our hearts, enlighten us. We desire to know and understand more of who you are. We praise you for this time. We thank you that we can declare this morning that Jesus is Lord and that we get to rejoice in that and celebrate that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. First to fourth graders, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth graders, you're with the Steens this morning. If you want to head out with Brother Rick there. Parents, just a reminder, when the service is over, you'll pick up your first to fourth graders in the Blue Hall in the gym building. Now, while they're on their way out, I want you to find First Peter chapter 2. And your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 2. Hey, guys in the booth, can we turn down some of the lights on the front so I can see the people? Thanks so much. Last week we came in 1 Peter 2 to a challenging text here. And we saw last week that the gospel message, the message of who Christ is and what he has done for us, that message requires a response from every person. And we saw last week there's only two responses. There's no middle ground. Everyone is either trusting in Christ or they're rejecting Christ. There's no other response, no other option. We all either trust Christ or reject Christ. In the text we looked at from 1 Peter 2 last week, we saw that difficult but true reality of what happens to those who reject Christ. We saw the imagery in 1 Peter 2 of how they stumble over the rock, the cornerstone, how they stumble over Christ, the picture of them tripping and never getting back up. And we saw how Jesus even explained that Old Testament reference, how they will be crushed by the stone, this terrifying image of the coming judgment and condemnation that awaits for all who reject Christ, who do not believe in him because of their sin, because of their rebellions, we saw in 1 Peter 2, because of their disobedience to the word. And so where we ended last week, I asked the question, what do we do with this truth? This is a hard truth, and what do we do with it? If you remember from last Sunday, I said there's two reasons why God has revealed this truth for us. One is so we're not surprised when the lost reject Christ and when the lost reject us. But even more, we saw the second reason why this has been given to us is so that we will now point the lost to Jesus. So we'll point them to Jesus and point them to the way of following him. And that's exactly where Peter goes next in the verses that we come to this morning, verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. He's going to show us our calling to point the non-believers to follow Christ. Now, before we read our text this morning, I want you to realize the beauty of what Peter does here. Peter's going to connect our responsibility to make Christ known to our identity of who we are in Christ, to connect our responsibility with our identity. So as we read these two verses this morning in verses 9 and 10, be looking for what is our identity in Christ. Friends, there are some stunning terms here to describe you and I as followers of Christ together. 
but also be looking for what is our mission to make Christ known and look for how Peter weaves those two truths together, responsibility to make Christ known and identity in Christ. So let's look for those two things in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll have the words on the screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the text that challenge us and push us outside of our comfort zone. Thank you for the text that give us such a clear picture of who we are in you and what you've called us to do. So we ask this morning for much grace to not only understand your word, but much grace to be doers of your word and not hearers only. So we ask your Holy Spirit to come to fill us, to enlighten us to the truth of your scripture, and to convict us where we need conviction, encouragement where we need encouragement, that we might do what you've called us to do. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So to unpack this text this morning and the truth for us here, I want to ask five different questions of this text to kind of bring it together to the challenge for us. So five questions of this text to help us understand it as we look at Scripture together. First question, what is our God-given responsibility? What is our God-given responsibility here? Now look at verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now we're going to come back to all that in just a minute, but notice this, that so that God has made us a people for a reason. God has done all these amazing blessings to us for a reason. And what is that reason? So that, here it is, you, you hear us plural. So just before we dig into this, realize this is not something I can do in isolation or you can do in isolation. This calling that God has given to us requires all of us working together in unison. And what is it that we are called to do so that you may proclaim, that we have a calling from God to proclaim something Now, this word proclaim here is the only time it's used anywhere in the whole New Testament. But as you look at the Greek language, this word to proclaim means to shout out, to herald something. You can even go as far as to say to advertise something. The word proclaim means to clearly make something known to other people. Again, this is plural, that we have a calling from God, a responsibility from God to together clearly make something known to other people. Now, if we try to think through how we understand that in our culture, perhaps the best picture of proclaiming together in our culture is what happened in stadiums across the country yesterday, right? When fans gather together in a stadium, they are proclaiming something together in unison. They're proclaiming the perceived excellencies of their team. They're proclaiming their devotion to and love for their team. And they're doing so together. I mean, they have people who are on the field telling you to say these words, and everyone's saying these words in unison together. So if you're of the persuasion I am, and you happen to go to Jordan Hare on Saturdays or watch some of those games on TV, you will hear songs like, glory, glory to old Auburn. You'll hear people doing cheers like, who's the best, Auburn? You'll hear the chants going back and forth. If you listen to the school's alma mater, which is honestly like a worship song, you hear the people standing together singing, to thy name we'll sing thy praise from hearts that love so true and will pledge to thee our loyalty the ages through. Okay. Now to my friends who are the other persuasion who go to Bryant Denny instead, Don't just think that's pagan Auburn fans. You do the same thing, right? (laughs) Your alma mater is just as bad as ours. And yes, I had to look it up because I didn't know it. Your alma mater says, so farewell, dear alma mater. May thy name, we pray, be reverenced ever pure and stainless as it is today. 
right? So you see what it looks like to proclaim something. If we want to get a picture of what Peter has in mind here, look at what happens. If you're not a football person, what happens in basketball arenas or sports things, people come together to herald their devotion to something. And that's the image that we as a church need to embrace of our calling here, that we are to be proclaiming together in unison, heralding, announcing out something. And what that leads to our second question, what are we proclaiming? Friends, we have something more holy, more sacred, more awesome, more amazing than a university, than a coach, than a team to proclaim. We get to proclaim the excellencies of God. We get to proclaim the excellencies of the great I am, the creator of all, our redeemer, the sovereign king. Look back at verse 9 here. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. We get to proclaim his excellencies. Well, excellencies is a word that means his virtues. The word that I use a lot that's similar to this is his attributes. We talk a lot about the attributes of God, the virtues of God, the characteristics of God, the excellencies of God. Now, what are the attributes of God? What are the excellencies of God? Now, there's a lot. We did like a 15-week study of this some years ago, so don't worry. I'm not going through all 15 or 16 that you could go or even more. But there's a few attributes, excellencies of God here that Peter highlights. Now, don't want us to miss this because when we look at texts like this, friends, we often come through the lens of going, look at how amazing these things God has done for us. We're chosen. We're blessed. We go through all these things, but don't miss God as the center of this text, not us. And so what's here is not so much how amazing we are, because we're not amazing, we need God's grace. What's here is how amazing and excellent God is. So what are God's attributes in these two verses we read this morning? Number one, we see here that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. By that meaning God is ruling. God is reigning. God is working out his perfect plan. God is never up in heaven being like, oops, I didn't see that coming, or oh, how do I fix this mess? God is on his throne working out his perfect plan. Now, we see this in a ton of different words here, but look back at verse 9. You're a chosen race. Skip down to a few phrases here. You're a people for his own possession. You go a little bit further here. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're chosen. He's possessing you. He's calling you. These are not descriptions of a God who's passively in heaven waiting, hoping that people will do what he wants them to do. This is a God in heaven who is in control of all things, working out his perfect plan, drawing to himself a people to glorify himself. So we see here the excellencies of God. He is sovereign. Number two, we see here that God is glorious. God is glorious. Glory is literally the brightness around his presence. It's the brightness that appears when God is there. When God manifests his presence, there's a blinding light that surrounds him, the light that radiates from his purity, his greatness, his excellencies, and himself. So much so, when we come to the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, 23, there's a day coming we don't need a sun in the middle of the solar system to give us light. I love this. The city, this is the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth, it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, is Christ. This is what we're seeing here. We're drawn out of darkness to his marvelous light, into the glorious light of his presence. Go back to verse 9. You may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God is sovereign. God is glorious. Number three, we see in this text, God is merciful. God is merciful. Mercy is God's willingness to show pity on sinners. God's willingness to show pity on sinners. His willingness to not treat us like our sins deserve. He is merciful. Look at verse 10 of our text this morning. Once you were not a people... Now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy, that God is willing to give us mercy. So in this, just these two verses, Peter highlights some of the excellencies of God, his sovereignty, his glory, his mercy. But Peter's already shown us other attributes of God as well. I don't want us to forget those. So to see a few from the previous verses we looked at in recent weeks. Number four, God is holy. By that we mean he's completely pure. He has no sin. He never has, never will. He's set apart from all sin. He cannot tolerate the presence of sin. He's so perfect. Go back to chapter one, verses 15 and 16. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So God is holy. Number five, God is just. God is a just judge. God sees every sin, even sins that aren't outward, but are in our hearts and our minds. He sees it all and he punishes every sin. Either the person will deal with their sin for all eternity or Christ takes it for them. No sin is left unpunished. Every sin ever committed will be punished because God is just. And even when God justly condemns people, it is an overflow of his own holiness and justice. We saw this Verse 17 of chapter 1, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed. God is just. He is the judge. But one more, number six, it's not the one we typically like to think about as much, but we saw it last week. God is wrathful. God is wrathful. God's wrath simply means his perfect expression of holy anger to sin. His wrath is his perfect expression of holy anger against sin and his judgment on it. It's what we were talking about last week in those harder verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And we unpacked that last week with this image of God's judgment on those. His wrath against those who do not Believe. Now, I want to remind us, if you think about all six of those, the fact he's sovereign and he's glorious, the fact that he is just and he's wrathful, but he's also holy and he's merciful. If you think about all six of those, I want to remind us these are all his excellencies. Even his attributes like his holiness or his justice or his wrath, these are not some type of subpar attributes of God. These are still his excellencies, his virtues. They're not attributes that are bad. They're not attributes we need to apologize for. It is who God is and his perfection And who he's revealed himself to be. Now with that in view, go back to verse 9 in our task before us. God's done all these things for us so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Now friends, this has staggering implications for us. This means we have a God who is calling us to faithfully and fully proclaim who he is. We have a God-given calling to faithfully and to fully proclaim who he is. Friends, if we talk to the lost only about the love and mercy of God and not his justice and his holiness and his wrath, we are not fully and faithfully proclaiming the excellencies of God. If we only tell people God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, friends, we are not faithfully and fully proclaiming the excellencies of him. Even in these first two chapters, we have seen so much of the attributes of God, and we are to faithfully and fully proclaim to those around us his attributes, fully who he is. Now, friends, if you need help digging in and understanding more of who God is, there's some great resources in the Resource Center. If you're willing to get really brave, there's a big book called Systematic Theology from Wayne Grudem. It's like 2,000 pages. There's a chapter in that book called The Attributes of God. In fact, there's three chapters on the attributes of God. And it's just a great summary of all these characteristics of God. If you want to understand how God is merciful, but also holy and just. If he's gracious, but also wrathful, there's a great three chapters in that. There's a great book that's shorter out there from A.W. Pink called The Attributes of God. If you want to dig in in a little bit more accessible format, it's a paperback. Great one on that. And if you want 
even easier approach to it, Jensen's book, Praying the Attributes of God, they're all out in the resource center. They're great resources to help you get your mind around who God is. If I can remind you, when we talked about the attributes of God, God is unchanging. He's not merciful today and wrathful tomorrow. He's fully all of his attributes all of the time. And we have a calling to understand them and to proclaim who he is. So what is our responsibility? To proclaim together, to herald something. What are we proclaiming? The fullness of the excellencies of God. Now, number three, who are we proclaiming God to? Who are we proclaiming God to? Well, take a step back and think about those football stadiums again, or if you're a basketball fan, the basketball arenas. When the fans are singing the alma mater or singing the cheers, who are they proclaiming to? Well, they're proclaiming to two different groups. One, they're proclaiming to one another how excellent their team is. There's times I've been in Jordan Hare and the other team has lost, which has not been often recently, but the other team has lost and they've already exited the stadium. And it's just the Auburn fans left, and they're singing the alma mater together. There's no one else around but Auburn fans, but they're singing it together. And your team probably does the same thing, too. They're heralding to one another the, the, a call to be loyal to their team. But likewise, when you're in those stadiums, who are you proclaiming to? You're proclaiming to the other team, to the spectators, to the visitors, to the people watching on TV, how great your school is. And you're trying to give a good impression to the watching world of how great your school or your team is. That's a small picture of what we're doing as God's believers when we proclaim together. We are proclaiming to one another. That's part of why we gather together on Sunday mornings is to study God's word together, to pray together, to sing together. And friends, when we sing together, yes, we're singing to worship God, but we're also proclaiming to one another to remind one another of these truths we need reminding of. Friends, life can be hard. We are a distracted people, and we come together regularly to remind each other of the excellencies of Christ. So we're proclaiming that, but that's not the main focus here, though that's true. The main focus of this text is we are proclaiming to non-believers, to people who have rejected the cornerstone. That's who Peter's honing in here. We know that because of the surrounding context. Go back to verse 8, the previous verse. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now remember last week, the verbs in these harder verses are all present tense. That means it's where the people are disobeying now or stumbling now or they're under judgment now. But that leaves open that if we pursue them and God turns their hearts through our witness, they can believe and come under honor instead of judgment. So we have a calling to proclaim to non-believers who Christ is and to ask God to turn their hearts to him. Now we see this beautiful proclamation of both together coming together in Romans. Romans chapter 9 verse 33. This is Part of the text that we looked at last week, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Again, this is the same Old Testament reference that we've been looking at here in First Peter. But when you come to Romans 9, there's a, there's a chapter break there, so often we stop there. But when Paul wrote that, there was no chapter break. The very next thing he says, look at chapter 10, verse 1. After saying the same Old Testament reference, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them them being those who are stumbling over Christ under judgment, is that they may be saved. So you see that here in 1 Peter. You see that there in Paul's writing that we have a responsibility to proclaim to non-believers who Christ is, faithfully and fully, all of his attributes to call them to believe. So what is our responsibility? To proclaim Christ. What do we proclaim? All of his excellencies. To whom do we proclaim? To non-believers. Friends, the reality is that task is not easy. People will reject the message we bring. People will reject the Jesus that we love. People will come with all sorts of trials along the way as we seek to follow Christ. So fourth question this morning, where do we find strength to do this? 
Where do we find strength to proclaim Christ with our family members, at our schools, at our workplace, with people on your sports team? Where do we find the strength to proclaim Christ? And the answer that Peter gives us is he says, remember your God-given identity. If you want to find strength to do this, the foundation, the hope is in what Christ has already done for you. Remember your God-given identity. Because there's so many today who are searching for, who am I? What is my identity? And God is saying, I've given you an identity, and it's what you need to find the strength to go forward to do what I've called you to do. Look back at verse 9 of our text this morning. But you are. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, what follows is you. This is what God has declared you to be. No matter how old you are, no matter how mature you are, no matter how long you've believed, or how, none of those things matter. This is who God has said you are. It's what he has declared you to be. This is not a statement of our aspirations. This is a statement of what we already are because of God's grace. So what has God already done for us? What is our identity? He gives us four key phrases here. Look back at verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Now, friends, for us, we just read that and pass over it, but this would have been stunning to Peter's early readers because this was a term reserved for Old Testament Israel. And in fact, he's quoting here Isaiah chapter 43, verses 20 and 21. So why don't you see it on the screen? Isaiah 43, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, here's why, to give drink to my chosen people. Verse 21, that the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. He's pulling intentional Old Testament imagery. He's just told us that they were to, were to proclaim Christ's excellencies. He says, you're doing so. Why? Because you are a chosen race, a chosen people. He's taken an image for Israel and applied it to God's people. He's saying God has set his affection on you. God has brought you into a real relationship with himself, a relationship that he initiated, a relationship that he pursued, a relationship that he bought, a relationship that he secured, and a relationship he's brought you into with other people. So he's saying, if you need strength to walk with God when life is hard, if you need strength and motivation to make Christ known to others, remember, you are part of a chosen race, a chosen people. But he's not done. He's got several more terms that are used from the Old Testament to describe Israel that he now applies to us. These next three come from not Isaiah, but back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and notice these. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and you shall be a, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words he shall speak to the people of Israel. So notice now how Peter brings those in, back to verse 9. You're a chosen race, and now from Exodus, you are a royal priesthood. So not only are you chosen by God, second of all, you're now priest for God. You're now priest set apart for God to serve him. This is not new. He told us this back in 1 Peter 2.5. We saw this two weeks ago. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that we're to be priest to God? Now let me remind us from a few weeks ago, the priest in the Old Testament has several functions. Remember, they worship God, they represented the people to God, they offered sacrifices, they read God's word to the people. But don't miss this, one of the role of Israel and one of the role of the priest was to point the lost nations to the one true God. They were to point the world to the one true God. And that calling for the priest, as I mentioned two weeks ago, required their entire life. The priest could not do this one day a week only. 
They couldn't accomplish this part-time. Their entire lives were consumed with serving God. And so Peter now says to us, you are a holy priesthood. And in verse 9, you are a royal priesthood that we have been set apart by God to use all of our lives to do what the priest did, to worship God and appoint people to him. That means that if you're not sure who you are, your identity, God is saying, not only have I chosen you, you belong to me, but I have given you a task to run with your whole life with, and that is to worship me and make, make me known. If you're at school, if you're at work, if you're in the neighborhood, if you're at Walmart, you are my royal priest wherever you go. So you're chosen by God. You're priest for God. Number three, in terms of our identity here, you are set apart by God. You are set apart by God to be different Look at the next phrase in verse 9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Again, this imagery of Israel applied to us. We're we're holy. We're set apart. As we saw at the beginning of 1 Peter, we're different from how we used to be. That if we're in Christ, we're different now. We're also different from the world. We are set apart by God to be different. And then he brings all these three expressions together in one summary expression of what is our identity Back in verse 9, you're a people for his own possession. The core of our identity is we belong to God together. That God owns us. He created us. He redeemed us. And he rightfully claims lordship over us. We belong to God. I love how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You, and we need this in our culture. I struggle with this, you struggle with this. You are not your own. God says, you belong to me. You're not independent. You're not just to do whatever you want to do. We belong to God. You were bought with a price. So glorify God as his holy priest in your body. We belong to God. And that image of belonging to God is so important. It's repeated. Go back to verse 10 of our text. Once you were not a people, once you did not belong to God, but now you are God's people. You now belong to him. So friends, how does that truth help us? Remember in verse nine here, if we go back to verse nine, he's connected our identity with our calling. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim his excellencies. How does remembering who we are in Christ help us proclaim Christ to the lost? I've been chewing on that and thinking on this week, and I think it's very simple. The more we understand what God has done for us, the more we want other people to have it as well. Friends, the more we understand what God has done for us, how can we keep that to ourselves? We will want others to experience it as well. Friends, the more we understand God's mercy on us and how we're not treated as our sins deserve, the more we can look upon the lost with compassion. Instead of being irritated by them and frustrated by them, the more we can find compassion for them because we were just like them once we were not a people, but now we are. Because the more we understand that at judgment we'll receive honor instead of judgment, the more we want those we love and who are around us to find honor instead of condemnation at judgment as well. The more we understand what God has done for us, the more we want others to have those same blessings. So Peter says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that... You now find the strength to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was thinking about that, friends. It hit me. One of the psalmists did the exact same thing, connecting our identity and our calling in a very similar way. Psalm 67, verse 1. It may be one you have framed in your house. It's one maybe on a coffee mug in your office. It's one you've probably seen in different places. You may have even heard it prayed as a benediction before. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now just stop right there. If that's the only part of Psalm 67 you know, we've got it out of context. Because we like what God has done for us. That's the identity part. I am blessed by God in Christ. I, God has been gracious to me. His face is shining upon us. He set his affection on us. And that is all amazing. And that is all true. And that is all good. But that is to drive us to do something. Now, verse 2 of Psalm 67. Here's what flows out of it. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. That this identity we have as a people whose God's face has shined upon us is intimately tied to our calling to make Christ known, not just where we are, but among all the nations in the world. That psalm carries on. Verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. We're a people now, a new people, so that all the peoples will praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 4, he carries on. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Verse 5, we'll keep going through this psalm. But the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 6, the earth has yielded to increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Now, last verse, verse 7, God shall bless us. Why? Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Same idea as 1 Peter here, that we're chosen by God so that we now proclaim his Excellency. So let's bring all that together. Here's the main idea, the summary of this text this morning, our big takeaway. This is what I want you to see this morning. God has given us a new identity so that his identity will become known to others through us. If you want to summarize Psalm 67 or 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it's the same idea. God has given to us a new identity so that his identity will become known to others through us. That we're different now, friends. We have a new identity. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are a people who are called out of darkness into a light. We are people who have received mercy. We are God's people. We have all of that, not because it's about us, but because it's about God, so that he gets the glory through the change he's making in us and so that we can now point others to the one who is changing us. In other words, friends, all those amazing truths about what God has done for us is not primarily about us. It's all about God and his glory and God being known. He's given in his grace to us a new identity so that his identity will become known to others through us. And like that, I want to ask just three simple questions this morning. First of all, friends, what are you proclaiming? What are you heralding? We're all heralding something. You go to stadiums, there's lots of people who are heralding things. If you go after a great movie, people are heralding the excellencies. We all herald things. What is it that we are heralding? What are we proclaiming? What do we see as most excellent that overflows in our conversations and our thoughts throughout the week? Number one, what are we proclaiming? Number two, friends, what do we need to focus on to better proclaim Christ? What do we need to focus on to better proclaim Christ? Depending on where we are and our personalities and our backgrounds, for some of us, we struggle to keep all of God's attributes in sight. There's parts of his attributes that we just don't think about very often. For some, we lose sight of our identity and who we are in Christ, and all these blessings he has given to us. For some of us, we remember those, but then we fail to connect them to our calling to proclaim Christ, and we lose sight of that, or we lose sight of the reality of lostness around us. What do you need to focus on this week to be encouraged to point people to Christ? Friends, regardless of what it is, whether it's God's attribution to think about, or your identity in Christ, or the reality of lostness or your calling, you know where you find that. We run back to Scripture. Because in Scripture, we see the attributes of God. In Scripture, we see who we are in Christ. In Scripture, we find our calling and the repeated calls to make Christ known. In Scripture, we find the reality of lostness before us all the time. 
and said, regardless of what you need to focus on, we're all going to need to run to the same place. That is the word of God. And one last question for us. Who is God calling you to proclaim his excellencies to this week? Who is God calling us to proclaim his excellencies to? Both individually, who has God put in your life and his sovereign plan? Who needs Christ for you to proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Who is God calling us as a church to proclaim Christ to? Not only in Montgomery, but to the nations. We have a God-given calling as a church to make Christ known together here in Montgomery and to the ends of the earth. Who is God calling us individually and together to declare his excellencies to? Friends, God has given us a new identity so that we, his identity becomes known to others through us. Let's pray this week that he will give us much grace to understand who we are in Christ and to make that known to others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. And God, we thank you that you are unchanging. That we don't have to worry today about what mood you're in or which attribute of yours you're going to display. That God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for the anchor of that. We thank you for the hope of that. Lord, I do pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that you would grow our understanding of who you are. That, God, you would grow us into more fully understanding your attributes, your self-revelation of all of who you are, not just the parts of your character that we're drawn to and that we like the most, but fully who you are, that we might know the great I am for who he really is. Would you grow us in our hunger to know you for you? But Lord, as we pray that, we also pray that you would grow us in understanding our identity. Well, these are incredible truths that you've given to us. I know in a room this size where there are people here who really struggle with the question, who am I? But I pray that these truths would be like a balm to them, that they would understand in Christ they are chosen, part of a chosen race, part of a royal priesthood, part of a holy nation. They are a people belonging to you. And Lord, I pray this week they would find comfort and stability in knowing who they are in Christ. And Lord, we pray as well that you would just burden our hearts with this calling you've given to us. Lord, you've given us an amazing calling to proclaim the fullness of who you are. And so, Lord, I pray today you would encourage us in that. For those who are giving so faithfully of their time to pursue people who need Christ, Lord, I pray today you would encourage them that their labors are not in vain, that you would encourage them, Lord, in what they're doing. Lord, for those who are struggling to make Christ known, who think of people that they love who, and that they're around who do not know you, I pray today you would give them that Holy Spirit motivation and conviction to be intentional this week, to make the fullness of who you are known to those around us. Lord, we pray for us as a church for much wisdom to grow us in these things. Lord, we want to be found faithful as a church to proclaim your excellencies here in Montgomery, but Lord, to the nations. Lord, as CJ reminded us in the prayers and the welcome earlier, there are people all around the world who do not have the privilege of doing what we do today. People all around the world who are lost in darkness and who've never even heard the name of Jesus, who've never seen a Bible and do not even know that there is a hope that is available for them. Lord, I pray as a church you will break our heart for the lostness of the world and grow us in how you want to use us to proclaim your excellencies to the ends of the earth, to the unreached peoples who've never heard your name. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill each one of us, that you would do what only you can do, that you would give us reminders of the unchanging word of God this week, reminders of God's greatness, reminders of who we are, reminders of our calling, reminders of lostness around us, that you would do what only you can do in stirring our heart affections and changing our heart affections that we long and we desire to be found faithful to you and pursuing all that the word says. He'll give us much grace this week to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we ask it all, Lord, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together?
I want us to end today with reading a scripture together. It's what we read earlier from Psalm 67. But I want us to let this be our closing benediction of us reading this out loud as a congregation together to remind us of God's blessings on our life, but to remind us of the responsibility we have to make Christ known to the world. So let's read it out loud together. Words on the screen, Psalm 67. We're going to skip the part to the choir master string instruments, a psalm, a song. Okay, ready? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Lord, that is our prayer this day and this week. As we experience your blessings, you will use us to make you known to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.